The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And on today's podcast, we're going to continue with our AI education series that we've been now doing. This is our 10th AI education series. We're sort of spreading these out for you here. And we're sharing with you the insights and education from our Cognolytica professional education subscription, which we have been doing now for many years. We've been providing education to organizations of all types and all sizes, from the largest of organizations to the smallest and everybody in between, to in every industry, literally every industry imaginable. And all around the world, we have trainees in Asia and Australia and Europe and India and in South America and North America, all parts of North America too, you know, United States and Canada and other parts of, of North America. And of course, lots of our friends in the public sector as well, government agencies at the federal level, the state, the local level and internationally. And a lot of them have a lot of the same questions that many of you do that are listening to our podcast. Many of you who are listening to our AI Today podcast come here to be informed and be educated. And so one of the things that we're doing here is, on our podcast is sharing with you some of the education that we provide as part of our professional education that we do at courses.cognolitica.com. Exactly. So as Ron mentioned, you know, we are uh, giving this, this is part of our AI education series podcast so that we can give you a, a taste of what it's like for our education, the breadth of courses and topics and coverage areas that we do cover. We have over 50 courses that are available. They are self-paced and all online. We used to do education in person back in the day years ago. And, you know, as Ron mentioned, we have trained people across many continents and many different time zones. And so you can imagine it's quite difficult to be in Australia one week and then New Zealand the next week and then India and then Switzerland. Um, so we needed to uh, to move it online. And so now it's also self-paced as well. One thing that's been incredible about this is that you can rewatch courses where you couldn't do that if you you know were attending live in person. And also since it is self-paced, you can pause it, you can rewind, you can, you know, as I mentioned, rewatch it, which is pretty incredible. And for courses, we do have a certification that's also included in our pricing. So for any courses that have certifications included in them, you get that um, at no extra fee, which is really nice. And all of these are role-specific, professional-level education, because we understand that not every job is the same, so your education should not be as well. And we really tailor it towards executive-level education, people who are in procurement, and those who are buying technologies, and then those who are implementing technologies as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, good memories. I brought up Switzerland. I, I remember <laughs> the chocolate. <laughs> oh, wow. Those were the days. You know, Kathleen and I, we, we uh, delivered actually a live training in Zurich and uh, we had some extra time and we're like, well, what, what should we do in Switzerland? They're like, I know, let's go to a chocolate factory. <laughs> oh, what a great, you've, you know, those like uh, sushi um, conveyor belts where like you kind of sit there and sushi comes on the conveyor belt. Well, just imagine that, but instead of sushi, it's chocolate. And it's like literally like, like no limits and fill up your mouths, fill up your pockets, fill up everything. Now, of course, in this new pandemic world, I kind of wonder how they're doing it. But 
Uh, man, well, they were time. wrapped. They were wrapped. Well, I tell Some you what, all, all of our podcast <laughs> listeners, maybe we'll take you with us uh, when we're doing <laughs> in person and kind of give you the behind the scenes there. So, um, you know, one of the things we're going to share with you on today's podcast is really one of the soft skills of data science. People talk about data science all the time and they think about the hard skills, math, statistics, probability, programming, you know, Python, R, SAS, whatever. They think of, of the needs to understand regression. And that is incredibly important. If you can't do that, it'll be very hard to be a, a functional data scientist. But of course, the other part of being a functional data scientist is knowing how to answer questions and knowing how to communicate results and knowing how to show somebody who may not be and probably isn't a data scientist, how are you going to show your analysis? Because analysis is not something a computer does. Analysis is something a person does. You know, we are the ones who are deriving meaning from all this. We are using machines to find the patterns. But like, what do these patterns mean? Well, it's up to us to understand, oh, the business is not doing well. The business is doing great. The customers like this. The customers don't like that. You know, people are having trouble with this. People are asking these questions. You know, we want these machines to automatically do these recognition things to help us with safety or with, with cybersecurity, right? We put the mind, meaning and the, and, the, uh, and the necessity behind data to actually give it value, right? And so the soft skills turn out to be very, very important. Um, and one of the things we're going to share with you here from our education on thinking and acting like a data scientist, which is a nice long course that we deliver as part of our education, are a couple of things. One, the value of iteration, um, especially thinking about iteration from a data scientist perspective, not the code iteration. Everybody knows how to iterate code, right? You make one version, you make the next version. We, we kind of know how to do that. We learned that methodology. But what does it mean to iterate as a data scientist? asking questions in an iterative way, right? The second thing that we're gonna share with you is this idea of the acceptance of failure because failure is actually the normal mode in data science. You're not going to get the answers that you may be expecting for a lot of reasons, because of the data, because of the algorithm, because of the question. And so you have to know as a data scientist how to accept failure and of course use it to iterate it. Kind of one builds on the other, right? Now, the third thing I'm going to share with you is this idea of critical thinking, which is really a life skill. <laughs> <don't think> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of funny. We teach it in the context of data science, but knowing like to not always accept the first answer, think a little bit more deeply, know where that information's coming from, know the veracity. Ask yourself, when you're having a conversation with someone that has nothing to do with data science, maybe you should be thinking in terms of the eight Vs, which is, hmm... Where is this information coming from? Do I have enough information to make a decision? The veracity, should I trust this information? Um, velocity, it's like, is this information changing really rapidly, right? Um, ask yourself that question the next time you're hearing any sort of conversation. It may cause you to think like a data scientist, right? What is the value of the exactly. data coming from the mouth of this person? <laughs> right. Uh, some of the other Vs, uh, viscosity, which is like, you know, does this information stick or is it like, you know, someone's going to change their opinion? I, I don't want to get into like a lot of philosophy here, but Kathleen and I literally were on a conversation within the past few days where the same person said something and then immediately contradicted themselves in like basically the very next communication, right? And we're thinking, did the did the world just change in two days? 
or did this person not have enough information or are they just making stuff up as they go along? These are questions you have to ask. You may not have the answers, <laughs> but at least you'll know the questions. And so here we're going to play for you an excerpt where we talk about these things and thinking and acting like a data scientist. So a lot of times we don't have answers because we have a lot of uncertainty. And this is just sort of the natural state of organizations in the world, right? And so when you have a lot of uncertainty, um, this is something we learned actually in the application development world. We moved from so-called waterfall styles of development where you have a plan and then you sort of uh, iterate on that plan. Then you build to that plan and you iterate on your building. And then you basically you know, test what you've built based on the plan and you know, iterate on testing and then you deploy it. And by the time you're done, like a year or two years later, you realize that you were wrong about, <laughs> about your assumptions or things have changed or you know, the world iterates. You know, they're not going to wait. The world doesn't wait for you to release your product. And of course, what we learned in development is to move towards more agile forms of development where we don't have these long design, build, test, deploy phases. We just do them on very short sprints. We're like, yes, I understand you're trying to accomplish this big goal, but let's take smaller bites and iterate because maybe as we're doing these iterations, you might find the that your information was incorrect, the things are changing, what the customer thinks they want is not what they want. Maybe there's competition out there that's iterating. Maybe the world is changing. So iteration is actually a, a, a um, best practice in an environment of uncertainty. And so we need to take that same approach with data science. And that is that we don't just ask one question and wait six months and then try to provide an answer. We're like, no, let's try, let's iterate. Let's ask. We understand we have big questions. Let's start with small questions. And we iterate because maybe the person that we're talking to, they might not know. Maybe they need more data before they can understand what more questions they can, they can ask. So we need to have a way to iterate, not just the question asking, but also the delivery you know, iterate the way that we can provide information, smaller chunks, high value, smaller chunks, you know, don't provide low value, right? And, and that goes to the next point, which is incrementing the value. You know, we start with some small wins, you know, answer a big, important question, or maybe not even a big one, just answer an important question quickly. And then show that you have a way of continuing to answer questions and scale that up. And of course, at some point, when you, when you have an answer, you don't have to keep iterating, providing that same answer over and over again. You can start focusing on the next important question to ask and answer, right? So this, this goes to really a best practice, which is think big, start small, and iterate often. You probably have heard that before. And if you haven't, then welcome to this idea. We're not the only ones to come up with it. But I would say this is a, this is a best practice in, in any sort of environment of uncertainty, but certainly data science. You may not have thought of yourself as being in this context of agile, but a good data scientist is agile and basically follows this, this general best practice of, of iterating often towards these big successes. But of course you can't always have success. <laughs> um, you know, failure is a natural occurrence. And if you're not feeling enough, that means you're not trying hard enough. You know, any, any successful person in the world, whether they're a, you know, an athlete to a scientist, a business person, whatever it is, will tell you that you have to accept failure because failure is the way you get to success. And, and it's basically because you're not truly experimenting and you're not really doing trial and error unless you're, unless you're failing. If you're, if you're not feeling, that means you're too safe and you're not really doing anything new. I mean, you're not pushing any boundaries by staying in the safe zone. So you have to expand beyond the safe zone, accept the failure. I mean, don't stop at failure. <laughs> failure is not a stopping point and don't, you know, don't fail any sort of uh, fatal way, right? Uh, this little 
picture <laughs> on the right notwithstanding here. Um, but hopefully this pilot, yeah, was able to walk away from that and they learned something. Uh, maybe, you know, don't approach the airport too low in front of a tree. Maybe that tree should not even be there. I mean, who knows? I mean, there's lots of lessons that we can learn from this particular thing. So um, not only do you need to accept failure, but also we need to accept the fact, especially in data science and machine learning, that the outcomes themselves will not be clear. They will be probabilistic. And what we need to understand is that there is what's called the symmetry of outcome, that, that when we provide something for an analytic perspective, we should expect both the positive outcome as well as the negative outcome. We should not be like, I'm expecting only positive outcomes. There should not be a negative outcome. You may go out there and do an analysis job. It may come back with an answer that is not at all what you expect. And of course, you have to ask yourself the question, is, is this unexpected result because there's something in the data that is indicating something unexpected? Or is it sort of a failure in the way that I've set up the analysis and the experiment, or there's a failure in the data? And that's what makes you a good scientist is, is uh, you know, don't stop at the first possible conclusion. There may be another one and, and sort of dig deeper. And if you keep digging deeper, you're like, no, the data looks good. The analysis looks good. I've tested it but the conclusions are different. Maybe there is something to it, you know, <laughs> maybe there is something to it and you can, you can find out. And that would be a big insight in and of itself, right? You don't, you're not always there to confirm your suspicion. That's actually a form of bias called confirmation bias, where basically you're only looking for answers that confirm what you believe is true. Very, this happens a lot, of course, in sort of pilot, uh, political uh, discourse where people will only say the things that they're expecting to be true. But of course you want the actual truth. You don't want to just, you know, confirm the things that, that you are suspecting, right? And then you ignore everything else. And of course, those other things are the reality. And then, you know, reality is reality. You have to face it at some point. The other thing with failure is accepting limitations because there are many limitations. Um, you, may, you may try this big analysis project and it fails and it's not really, you, should, you shouldn't attribute it to your own fault. It's not because you know, you just failed as a data scientist. Sometimes there are limitations. Actually, many times there are limitations. You may be limited by the data. You may be limited by the power of the system and limitations in machine learning and the algorithms and the tools. I mean, don't put the blame on these things. Obviously, they're not. that's not always the issue. But you should be aware of those limitations and say, look, you know, we are limited by the data. We only have a thousand data points here. And we don't have any other ways of, of using pre-trained models. So we're going to have limited visibility. And you should make, every, make everybody aware of the fact that, that they shouldn't hold your answers with necessarily the same level of credence as they would if you had a robust, gigantic data set you know, that was supported by all the tooling. So accept the failure accept the possibility of failure and basically use the idea of failure as your way to iterate towards success. This builds on the previous slide, you know, think big, start small, iterate often. And the iteration might be because things go wrong. Actually, they often do. So this really gets to the next part, which is about critical thinking. And, and what does critical thinking mean? There's actually a lot of people who have, have produced sort of uh, in-depth you know, reports and blog posts and articles about what critical thinking is. But of course, critical thinking is the idea that, that you shouldn't um, do the work, basically go the easy way out of thinking, sort of, I want to say lazy way, but basically sort of lazy thinking is just accepting things because 
because that's momentum and, and that's the way things have always been or not challenging ideas that really aren't grounded in any sort of reality or not digging deeper, you know, just staying at the high level and not realizing that there is a level deeper and that may give you a different answer. These are all aspects of critical thinking. And there's been some folks who have basically codified this and, and you can go out there and read and we'll link to that in our edu um, education supporting notes here. But it comes, it comes down to basically four things, which is observation is the first thing. Are you looking at the right things? Are you missing something, right? That doesn't mean look at everything. <laughs> first of all, that a lot of times it's impossible. You can't look at everything from every possible viewpoint, for example, on a political discourse. It's just there may be so many different potential viewpoints. You, you get stuck in what's called analysis paralysis, where, where you can't make any decision because you're just too busy looking at all the alternatives. You know, the other one's like, it's like the, uh, the diner menu problem is like, you know, 200, <laughs> 200 things on the diner menu. I've been there before. And you're like, I don't know, should I, should I get the breakfast or the, the souvlaki or like, you know, man, this burger's looking good, or maybe we'll look steak. You get stuck, you know, sometimes having fewer options in the menu is a good thing. So um, this comes to the second part, which is the power of discernment, which is recognizing what things are important and which things are not important, understanding that while there may be diversity in opinion and thoughts and, and respecting that diversity and embracing it, knowing that, okay, I understand there's differences here, but what really matters is this, and that's to the problem you're trying to solve here for the data, understanding that like, you know, maybe there's all these different possibilities for a fraud analysis, but some of this, some, you know, you could say, well, look, you know, half of these cases aren't really fraudulent. They're just people making mistakes or something like that, or there's some other issue. Let's just focus on where, where the real damage is happening, for example, and, and do that. And of course, the last little bit of observation from critical thinking perspective is, can you trust what you're seeing? Are you seeing something that's true? Or are you seeing something that may not be true? And that's, you know, you need to have some sort of ground truth, some say, some sort of way of verifying the truth. Um, in order to be able to trust your observations. Because if you can't trust your observations, it's really very hard to basically do the next step, which is the analysis. And in critical thinking, analysis is really about the power of synthesis, which is taking different pieces of data from various different you know, places, right? They were originally in different places, and pulling them together to get an understanding of what that means. That's what analysis is. It's basically like, I'm going to analyze something. It's like, well, you can't analyze one data point. That doesn't give you anything. You need to take multiple data points, pull them together. As long as there's some sort of consistency in that data point, you're not being totally random and grabbing unrelated data from different places. There has to be some relation and you're understanding them. And then of course you're interpreting what that means because as they say with statistics, you can make a statistic about anything, right? Um, you know, there's that quote, there's lies, damn lies and statistics, right? So, and of course, that's the challenge. And this goes to critical thinking, which is where is that statistic coming from? What's the underlying data? How is this data synthesized? Is it answering the right question? Is it coming at it from a, a perp, you know, is it, have we applied critical thinking to that statistic? It's very important. That sort of brings us to the next point, which is once you have your analysis, what does that mean? And this is the power, this is inference, which is, are you drawing the right conclusions from that data, right? That analysis actually of the data, because the data is just data. You can't draw a conclusion from data. You have to draw a conclusion from an analysis of the data, right? The data is there. If you, if, if you can trust the data, then there's nothing to verify or not. <laughs> data is the data. The, the thing to understand is whether the analysis of the data is correct. 
And are you drawing the right conclusions? You know, there's all sorts of bias. This is actually something we wrote in an article on Tech Target. There's like nine or 10 different forms of bias. You know, there's, of course, the, the form of bias you may be thinking about, which is what's called um, exclusionary bias or over, you know, where you're overrepresenting or underrepresenting a particular, you know, group. There's also, you know, you may have what's called confirmation bias. We just talked about it, where you may have a particular opinion and you're just looking for things to support your opinion. But there's lots of other biases, selection bias, there's collection bias, you know, where it's sort of like maybe there was an error in the way that you collected that that data, that the, the process of collecting that data may have introduced some error. You know, if you're going to a shopping mall and you were asking people certain kinds of questions or you were calling people on the phone for polling, there may be a collection bias issue. You may be, as far as like a representation, you may be saying, oh, I'm going to represent everybody, you know, equally in terms of, of uh, you know, social economic diversity, you know, uh, various different, you know, parts of the population. But there still might be collection bias because there only may be a certain group of people that are answering the phone. And that may in itself say, okay, well, the, you, how do you factor for that bias that maybe a large part of your population, maybe a big representative group doesn't answer the phone. So there's that kind of bias. There's um, all sorts of, of, of kinds of bias. And so you need to make sure when you are doing these inferences, you address these issues, you're aware of it. This is all part of critical thinking. And if you, and if you are critical thinking, then you might say, these are very strong conclusions. It's sort of like we understand there may be some limitations in, in various different aspects, but we can conclude very strongly um, that, you know, for example, when there is a hurricane approaching, there will be a demand for these products, um, batteries and tarps and water with a very high degree of confidence. Remember, this is all about probabilities. You say 80, 90%, you stock the shelves with this stuff, you move stuff from warehouses where these are not necessarily in high demand, two areas of high demand, you will not run out of stock and you will meet customer demand. When Walmart did this analysis, this is something we did in the applications of AI, they also found a very strong correlation between the run on places like Walmart for, for um, your staples with also strawberry Pop-Tarts. <laughs> this was this one surprising conclusion. This comes back to, did I, did I understand this data properly? Is this a real correlation? And it turns out it was a real correlation that uh, people just bought strawberry Pop-Tarts um, you know, I don't know why specifically strawberry, but they did. <laughs> so, you know, this motivated Walmart to say, okay, well, you know, I guess if we were running out of that material, then um, we should probably stock the store shelves and maybe even put them on the end caps to facilitate more uh, purchase. Again, this is, all comes down to asking the right questions and coming up with conclusions that may or may not be obvious, right? Who would have thought that a pandemic would result in a toilet paper shortage? I certainly would not have thought of that. Maybe there is some cause and effect, but it's actually hard to figure out what the exact cause and effect is. It may even just be psychological that people feel that they're going to be stuck at home. <laughs> and uh, I guess, you know, you need the resources when you need them. So who knows? So, there's a, so, so that's not the thing you might have spotted in advance, but of course now it's a very obvious one. But what are the other sort of not obvious correlations uh, of data and cause and effect of data? So uh, hopefully you uh, learned a little bit about thinking and acting like a data scientist and you can apply it to your everyday life. Um, but again, this is actually really part of a much longer course that's at courses.cognolitica.com, which is itself part of over 50 courses, all self-paced online and including certification if you're interested in getting the CPMEI cert as part of all that. So definitely take advantage of that on the courses.cognolitica.com site.
Exactly. And, you know, we've mentioned this is this is actually one of uh our courses that is very unique. Not everybody offers this. So we hope that you gain something from this clip and we hope that you um, take it in its entirety as well. I know that many of our podcast listeners are subscribing clients to both Cognolytica and also our educational series as well, our, our courses.cognolytica.com. So we hope that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. We always love hearing from our listeners. So please make sure to reach out. And if you know if you have any specific questions, or also rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. We always love hearing what people have to say about our podcasts. We will post the link directly for the Thinking and Acting Like a Data Scientist, as well as also our courses.cognolytica.com in the show notes so that you can go there directly to get these courses. Um, as mentioned, it's just you know one fee and you get access to all of our content. So hopefully you'll check it out. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more, please visit our website at Cognolytica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group, and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also, subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.